Tokyo Olympics are set to commence this week after one year delay due to the coronavirus pandemic. Dubbed the Recover Games, the attitude around these Olympics has been anything but positive, as the games have been plagued by scandal from almost day one, with accusations of vote buying and allegations of plagiarism, concerns about costs, get this, $2 billion. Worries about health and safety due to pollution and heat. And outrage over a series of sexist comments by Japanese officials. Female directors talked too much, which he found annoying. Ceremonies has resigned after derogatory remarks towards a female comedian. Add to this the ongoing pandemic in Tokyo. And a new surge in coronavirus cases in the Olympic Village as athletes arrive from around the world. About 60 cases of people connected to these games who have tested positive since July 1st. Oh, All of this has amplified calls for the Tokyo Olympics to be canceled once and for all, and has brought into question the worth of the Olympic Games altogether. Why are the Olympics going ahead as scheduled despite all the health risks, scandals, and public opposition? What has made these Olympic Games in Tokyo so scandal-prone? And what impact does this have on the future of the Olympics? I'm Tristan Gruno, and this is Japan on the Record. For more on Tokyo 2020 and the future of the Olympic Games, I talked with Dr. Jules Boykoff, professor and department chair of politics and government at Pacific University, and author of No Olympians, Inside the Fight Against Capitalist Megasports in Los Angeles, Tokyo, and Beyond, published by Fernwood in 2020. I started by asking Dr. Boykoff to outline all of the reasons why the Games should be canceled. Well, for starters, the Olympics are an optional sporting spectacle, and we are in the middle of a global health pandemic. And that's kind of the main reason, I guess, that these Olympics shouldn't happen. I listen to medical experts who for a long time have been clamoring for these games to be either canceled or further postponed. Also, these Olympics are not popular inside of Japan. There was a poll recently from Asahi Shimbun that found 83% of the population did not want the Olympics this summer. So a huge majority, which we really haven't seen in the recent political history of the Olympics, do not want these games to happen. So in honor of the wishes of the local population, as well as the expertise of the medical community, I think these games should definitely not be happening this summer. You throw on top of that the fact that we're already seeing numerous cases of coronavirus at the Tokyo 2020 Olympics, even inside the so-called bubble that is the Olympic Village where the athletes stay during the Games. This is a situation that's already serious and I'm afraid could potentially spiral out of control. It's a gamble with global public health and we need not do it just for a sporting spectacle as much as most people really like the Olympics. And that's a great point. You mentioned the news about coronavirus cases already spiking in the Olympic Village. There's also been a lot of confusion about who has to quarantine. And now there's no spectators in the stands either. Is that correct? Correct. There will be no spectators inside of the venues in Tokyo. And there's been real inconsistency in terms of how the quarantine has played out. So for a lot of journalists, they must stay in quarantine for some 14 days in one manner or another when they arrive in Tokyo. On the other hand, you had the president of the International Olympic Committee, an Olympic fencer named Thomas Bach from Germany. He arrived in Tokyo and was only quarantined for three days. And then a few days later was gallivanting at a fancy party with high power brokers inside of Japan, such as former Prime Minister Yoshiro Mori, who had resigned from the Tokyo Organizing Committee in disgrace, as well as the current Prime Minister Suga and the governor of Tokyo, Yuriko Koike, and other power brokers of the Olympics. 
there definitely seems to be a double standard at work and, and also a lot of inconsistency in regards to who's quarantining, how long, and why. But despite all these problems you just mentioned, it appears that the Olympics will be held as scheduled starting this week. So in the end, what do you think were the biggest reasons the IOC and organizers in Tokyo went ahead with the Games? Well, I think there's three main reasons, and they are money, money, and money. (laughs) We've got to start with money here. The International Olympic Committee basically treat the Summer Olympics like its golden cash spigot. This is where they make their most profits, their most revenues. And so for them, holding the Olympics is paramount. And that's why you're seeing, because of the fact that 73% of their revenues from the International Olympic Committee come from broadcasters like NBC here in the United States, that's why you're seeing them ram ahead with the Olympics. The IOC is perfectly content to have a made-for-TV event with no spectators in the stands, so long as that 73% of their revenues keeps flowing into their coffers. Another 18% of the revenues come from corporate sponsors, longtime sponsors like Coca-Cola or new sponsors like Alibaba or Airbnb. And so to keep those sponsors on board and happy and allowed to advertise during the games, they are perfectly happy again to have this made-for-TV event. And so I think that's the main reason why we're seeing moving forward. Now, I don't mean to be too cheeky there, Tristan. I mean, I think there are other aspects in effect here. For example, China is going to be hosting the next Olympics only six months after the Tokyo Games are scheduled to close. And Everybody knows that Japan and China are longtime geopolitical adversaries, so it might be especially painful for higher-ups in Japan to just hand the Olympic torch over to those people in Beijing for the next games without completing them successfully themselves. And I think there might be a little bit of a political element here with the local government figuring, and especially Prime Minister Suga actually figuring that if they can pull this off, it could be a real boon in the upcoming elections. And so those are factors, but I think the main driving factor that is making these Olympics happen under pandemic conditions is the International Olympic Committee and all the economic force behind this event. You mentioned before that the head of the Tokyo Organizing Committee, former Prime Minister Mori Yoshido, had to resign in disgrace after making sexist comments. But this isn't the only scandal plaguing the 2020 Olympics. In fact, these games have been especially tainted by scandal, with news coming out seemingly every week of some kind of incident. In fact, just this week, opening ceremony composer Oyamada Kego resigned after admitting to bullying and abusing children with disabilities while in school. What's going on? Have these Olympics been under increased scrutiny because of COVID? Or do games typically have this much scandal? Well, when Tokyo first got the Olympics back in 2013, then IOC President Jacques Rogue called Tokyo a, quote, safe pair of hands. Since that time in 2013, the Tokyo organizers have been anything but safe pair of hands. I mean, this has been a cascade of calamities pretty much from day one. I think you could actually argue that the Tokyo bid was built on a double lie in the sense that former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe stood in front of the International Olympic Committee and said when he was questioned about the triple whammy disaster in Fukushima, the earthquake, tsunami, and nuclear meltdown, he was asked about this. Is this going to affect the Olympics. And he said, everything is, quote, under control. Well, things were absolutely not under control, as any self-respecting scientist in the area would be able to tell you. And people were astounded uh, that he would just go ahead and say that when things were absolutely not under control. The second lie was that 
they were going to rebrand these Olympics, the Recovery Games, to denote how the Olympics would help the affected areas around Fukushima recover from the disaster. And nothing of this sort has transpired. When I was in Fukushima in July 2019, I talked to locals, I talked to elected officials, I talked to journalists, people on the street, and they were all up in arms about the under control comment from Shinzo Abe and very distraught over the notion that somehow the Olympics had helped them recover. In fact, they said it was the very opposite in the sense that a lot of cranes and other resources were pushed into the capital in order to get ready for the Olympics instead of help them recover. There was a sort of specific to Tokyo double lie upon which these Olympics were built. But, you know, the truth of the matter is every single Olympics succumbs to corruption in one fashion or another, whether it's illegal corruption through bribery or the legal corruption, which is just sort of the way things are that creates a trickle up economic situation where the rich tend to get richer during the Olympics and everybody who bought into it who's not rich doesn't really get much out of it. And so I think there's been quite a bit of corruption. There's been, as I say, a cascade of calamities with Tokyo. But compared to previous Olympics, I don't know. It's tough to say sometimes. I mean, there was some pretty serious scandals around like the Salt Lake City Games in 2002, or maybe even the Nagano Games in 1998. We actually don't even know the full extent of the bribery and corruption around the Nagano 1998 Olympics, because they incinerated the records immediately after the Olympics. So I guess historians will never quite get at that one. So you know, when it comes to the Olympics, it's basically a corruption festival in one way or another. As I say, sometimes it's illegal and sometimes it's actually just legal the way things are in the Olympic circle. But the problem is there's so much money swishing through the political system of the Olympics that it does tend to create corruption in one fashion or another. And we're definitely seeing it in Technicolor. Maybe it is a little bit worse in Tokyo in the sense that the scrutiny has been really high and they've really flopped on their back. And, you know, there is even allegations that some $8.2 million was used by a former Dentsu executive to bribe people back in 2013 to get their votes for Tokyo in the first place. That's moving its way through the French courts. And so I guess you sort of see the actual corruption working its way through the courts uh, with a series of lies, with a series of mistruths and prevarications that, that does make Tokyo among the most corrupt games in the history of the Olympics. With all these scandals in Tokyo that we talked about before and other questions hanging over the Olympics, like abuse of athletes, doping scandals, just widespread corruption, questions are being raised over whether the Olympics, not just in Tokyo, but as a whole, should be canceled altogether. So can you talk about what are the arguments being made along these lines and what do you think the chances of the Olympics being canceled are? Well... The Tokyo Olympics have really stripped the varnish off the Olympic project, getting us to see with ever more clarity the sort of corruption as well as self-interest that guides the International Olympic Committee. Scholars like myself, who've been studying the Olympics for a long time, have been pretty aware of the International Olympic Committee and the crude ways they move forward with their Olympic Games. But to have them ram ahead during a pandemic really opened a lot of eyes here. And when you combine that with the fact that the Beijing Olympics are around the corner, the Winter Olympics of 2022, and they're happening in what is obviously a human rights abusing country in China, where ethnic Muslim Uyghurs are treated horribly in Xinjiang province, that's a real euphemism there, where the Tibetans have had longtime grievances with the Chinese. 
and where Hong Kong in recent years has experienced a real crackdown from China. And so clearly we have a situation where crimes against humanity are happening. That's not from me, that's from Amnesty International, that's from Human Rights Watch. And when you combine those two Olympics and how calamitous they've been, you'd think that it might get the International Olympic Committee to hit the pause button and think about the bigger and wider project. But they've done nothing of the sort. Even in the face of a lot of public criticism, even in the face of a growing anti-Olympics movement that's really gone international with these Tokyo Olympic Games, the IOC still hasn't slowed down. And the problem really is, Tristan, at the end of the day, that the International Olympic Committee is arguably the largest sport infrastructure in the world and perhaps the least accountable one as well. And hey, that's saying a lot given the fact that FIFA runs the soccer world and they're not exactly a paragon of ethics themselves. And yet the IOC really has nobody kind of trying to oversee them and keep them accountable. They're a parastate that all too often when they arrive in the host city acts like a parasite. And so if we're actually going to reform the Olympics, we have to figure out a way of making accountability for the International Olympic Committee. Until that happens, we're going to be in trouble here. So there's a lot of motion in the Olympics ocean pushing back against the International Olympic Committee right now. And it tends to come from a few different areas. One is this upsurge in anti-Olympics activism around the world. In Tokyo, it's being led mainly by two groups, but there are other groups as well. Hangarin Nukai is one of those groups. They came out of a real fight for public space, a right to the city argument that they've been making since 2013 around homelessness in the city and how people have been pushed out of parks. And the other group in Tokyo is a group called Okotoa Link, and they're primarily a long-term activists against nuclear power, for example. They've got great connections in the universities across Japan. And those two groups have been organizing protests across the country. They've also created the first transnational anti-Olympic summit back in July 2019, which I had the good fortune of attending as I was finishing up my most recent book on the Olympics so I could include it in there. And they brought people from around the world together to fight against the Olympics, to share strategies about how to do so. And I think in that sense, the anti-Olympics activism we've been seeing in Tokyo that has made really smart use of social media as well has been cutting edge and something to really keep an eye on moving forward. And so there's no question that there's a lot of momentum for anti-Olympics activism. There's a lot of human rights workers that have been raising big questions about sports mega events like the Olympics and the Soccer World Cup. There's an increasing number of academics that are doing critical work about the Olympic Games. And finally, there's just an upsurge in journalists who are much more interested in putting critiques of the Olympics in their stories. And so when you combine those four groups, there's definitely momentum against the Olympics, at least to reform them, if not abolish them. The scholar based in the UK, a guy named David Goldblatt, has argued recently in the New York Times in a really good article that I recommend your listeners check out by John Branch, front page article in the New York Times. David Goldblatt, he argued that essentially the International Olympic Committee is unreformable and it needs to be abolished. And he's really, I think, on the right page there. I think the people that have actually studied the Olympics like him understand that the International Olympic Committee is not going to reform itself and it may just be time to abolish it. I'm Tristan Gruno, visiting assistant professor of modern Japanese history at Pacific University. 
and this has been another episode of Japan on the Record. Stay tuned for future episodes to hear scholars of Japan bring their expertise to bear on issues in the news. Thank you for listening. Thank you for listening.